Welcome to Restoring Memory, a COVID calls exploration of the first two COVID years. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters. And since March 16th, 2020, I've been the host of COVID Calls, a daily discussion of the pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. This is part three, the terrible springtime and plague poems. With over 6 million dead worldwide now, and as we close in on a million deaths from COVID, as of March 15th, 2022, maybe hard to remember that terrible springtime of 2020. The stories came from Italy first, bodies waiting to be buried, families distraught and barred from funerals that had to wait. Then we heard about mass graves in New York, drone footage from April 9th, 2020 on Hart Island, showing workers interring the dead in mass graves, made international news. Refrigerated trucks were called into the city to hold the dead. The metabolism of death in the city, the nation, the world was speeding up beyond what frail bodies, hospitals, and eventually what mortuaries could cope with. To some, it seemed apocalyptic. I'd like to read the opening of a story that to me really captures this moment, this terrible springtime of 2020. Nick Faringa stood amid the body bags in a refrigerated 18-wheel trailer at New York Presbyterian Hospital Columbia University Medical Center in Manhattan. This is him, a hospital worker said, pointing to a white body bag among the roughly 40 others lying on wooden platforms that resembled hastily constructed bunk beds. As a funeral director in the Bronx, Ferenga had spent two months on the front lines of COVID-19, picking up dozens of bodies. Yet somehow, until that day, in late April 2020, he had escaped the pain of retrieving the body of someone he loved. Philip Folia was Ferenga's former Little League coach. He and his brother Sal played baseball with Folia's sons. The families lived just blocks apart. Their fathers were longtime friends. In the trailer... Ferenga squatted down next to a lower platform. With his gloved hand, he pulled the double zippers down the body bag to Folia's waist, where his hands were folded. Ferenga checked his hospital ID wristband before pulling the zippers up. Oh, Phil, he said in a hushed voice when he saw his former coach's face. For much of his career, Folia, who was 69, was a lawyer for the city, state, and federal governments investigating and prosecuting public corruption. Faringa knew Folia had been in the hospital for more than a month, most of that time on a ventilator. Several days earlier, he was transferred out of the ICU, but then one infection set him back and then another until his heart gave out. In the trailer, Faringa, wearing an N95 mask and medical gown, wrapped his arms around Folia and the body bag and hoisted him onto a stretcher to bring him to the funeral home. Since mid-March of 2020, about 200 bodies, compared with about 55 in a typical two-month period, have come through the back doors of the Faringa Brothers Funeral Home, a brick building that was once a bakery in the Allerton neighborhood in the Bronx. Faringa, who's 34, owns the business, which includes a smaller funeral home in Yonkers, with his older brother, Sal, who's 40. The bodies come from nursing homes, apartments, and houses from hospitals, refrigerated trailers. That's the opening to the story, how do you maintain dignity for the dead in a pandemic 
It was written by Maggie Jones with photography by Philip Montgomery and appeared in the New York Times Magazine, May 14th, 2020. I remember where I was sitting when I read that story. I remember exactly how I felt when I saw those photographs, and I hope you'll have a chance to look at them for yourself. They were terrifying because it seemed that we had reached a point in which the things we held on to, the structures like hospitals, like funeral homes, that regulated the pace of death, that gave us the expectation of the possibility that we would get through something like this pandemic in a way that would not mean mass casualties, that that confidence was slipping. This article told that in a very intimate story of one funeral parlor. It was hard to take. I had the opportunity to talk to Maggie Jones about it on COVID calls, and you can find that call in the early segment of calls in the spring of 2020 in that terrible springtime. One of the ways that we coped with that loss, that terrible spring, was also through artwork, through writing. Some people actually have the ability to write like academics and like artists, and I'm lucky enough to have one of those with me now to talk about this time period. Let me introduce Zachary Loeb, and we're going to talk about his project, Plague Poems. Now, Zachary is no stranger to COVID calls, but we haven't talked about the Plague Poems yet. Let me introduce him to you. Zachary is a PhD candidate whose work looks at the intersection of the history of technology and disaster studies. His dissertation project focuses on Y2K. Since March 16th, 2020, he's posted four short poems a day, five days a week, to the Twitter account at Plague Poems. And the poems are compiled into weekly compendiums that are posted on his website, librarianshipwreck.wordpress. And I will put the link to that up. And I'm gonna, I'd like to read one. I think many people listening to COVID calls also are big fans of, well, fans is a difficult word, but uh, <laughs> they, they read plague poems and they think about them. And it's been an important way for me to process uh, what's been going on. I want to read one from that first week of Plague Poems. I know that you are brave. I know that you have hope. I know that these words are not really for you. But if it helps, just know that I, unlike you, am scared. Zachary Loeb, welcome back to COVID Calls. Thank you for having me back. So we have not talked about Plague Poems before. And it's a pretty remarkable undertaking. You've written a lot of them. I wonder if you could maybe just start by reading a few, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the project. Sure. So this first one is the very first one that I posted on the morning of Monday, March 16th, 2020. It is said that during the plague, the bard wrote King Lear. Perhaps, but how many did not live to see it performed? Uh, this is another one from that first week. I have watched videos of those quarantined in Italy, taking to their balconies and singing with their neighbors. How lovely my neighbors and I would sound singing together. 
If only we too had balconies. This one is from the start of the second week. If I had children, I would tell them not to be frightened. If they were to ask me what was being done, I would reassure them that the adults were working without sleep to fix everything. It is a relief to not have children, as it spares me from having to lie to them. Zachary Loeb reading Plague Poems on COVID Calls in our special Restoring Memory series of episodes as we move towards the two-year anniversary of COVID Calls. Can you reconstruct your mindset when you wrote the first one? So I've been trying really hard to think back on those first weeks and, and the period surrounding them. I think that like many other people, I had been following the news about COVID-19 from the beginning of the year and from the end of the previous year. And it was one of these things that I was very conscious of, but I was always trying to convince myself, okay, how, how much do I need to be concerned about this? How much is this something to be worried about? Um, at risk of creating or disseminating an unfair stereotype about um, people who study disasters. I, I think that some of us have a tendency to see, you know, doom coming or, or see signs of uh, impending disaster around every corner. And so early on, I was trying to keep myself in check about, okay, at what point to, to really, really start worrying. I was also at the time TAing a introduction to bioethics class. So, you know, with my students in our recitation sections, we were kind of talking about it and thinking about it, but it was still kind of in the background. And then I remember very quickly, was it kind of the start of spring break? And then that chain of events where suddenly every school was like, we're extending spring break. Then don't come back from spring break. And we're going all online. And in that moment, I think that I, I was just trying to think of some way to I don't want to use the word productive here, um, but but think of some way to be paying attention to what was going on and documenting it in a way that was somewhat useful. Mm. I think that the has probably been the biggest influence on me uh, is, is probably uh, Bertolt Brecht. And his writing throughout, um, you know, the World War II period, uh, his, his short book, War Primer, especially, mm. where he was writing kind of short poems in response to the things that were going on as a way of documenting and commenting. Um, I think that that's one of the things that I had in the back of my mind when I started doing these. Um, I, I've always written poetry. I've mm -hmm. never 
shared it before, especially not like just posting it up on social media and, and seeing what will happen. But in the moment, it, it seemed to make sense. But and, and, and I, I imagine that maybe this is true of, of COVID calls as well, which I mean, congratulations on reaching 500 episodes. But at, at the beginning of this, I didn't think that I would still be doing this two years later. Um, you know, I, it, it, it seems like there are certain things where you're really proud of yourself for sticking with something for, oh, wow, you've, you've been doing this for two years. That's great. But I feel like as we get to this two year anniversary, um, there's, there's really absolutely nothing to celebrate about it. It, it, the fact, the fact that we're, we're still going into a third year of doing this stuff just seems kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. There's no joy in it. I mean, there's the, there, I do think there's importance is the way I've come to think about the COVID death numbers. Now that there's the yardstick aspect, there's the, I probably drives epidemiologists crazy when I say that I know those numbers are, are important to them and maybe they will get more, they will get better with more time to catch up. But I feel like we're, we're laying down markers. We're, we're notching the high water marks and it, it just, we're just notching a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And you and I were chatting a bit before we went on about the, that early period, which I've gone back and spent a lot of time thinking about in these last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, the, um, the idea that, you know, March 16th, you know, everything shut down, Drexel University shut down, but we'd be away for a couple of weeks. We were making decisions, you know, um, based on this increment of time, which was completely, I don't know if anybody thought that was realistic, but, um, it, it, you know, we start to think, what do I need to make it through two weeks of a pandemic? And I look back at that thinking now, I think, what if I had told myself, what do you need to make to prepare yourself if you survive? Uh, for two years of a pandemic. Yeah. One of the things is yeah. the endurance to do the kind of project that you've been doing. I mean, I think that's, again, with the, the plague poems, and I appreciate the way you describe them um, and that tension around productivity during this time. And like, a lot of people have talked about this. Like, we don't want to talk about it that way, but you need to make things to survive, right? I think that one of the, the ways that I've been thinking about it and one of the ways that I think has been useful is thinking about it in terms of bearing witness, thinking about it as a way to kind of force yourself to continue being attentive and continue paying attention and to continue trying to draw other people's attention to it. And I think that that has been something that attitude towards it, the need to bear witness has been challenging, but important. And I think that it is also something that has helped sustain me throughout some of the moments in the pandemic where you were kind of dismissed of as an alarmist or a doomsayer, or you were said that, you know, you were addicted to the pandemic if you were kind of still paying attention to it. Yep. Um, I think that if we think back not to two years ago, but
but to a year ago, you know, in the spring of 2021, um, amidst the initial good news around, you know, the vaccines, I think that there was this moment then where lots of people were really ready to declare it over and everything was going to be okay and the summer was going to be great. And in that time, it really felt like if you were still trying to talk about it, if you were still trying to pay attention, if you were still trying to like emphasize that like people still needed to be attentive, that was a time in which it was kind of easy to be dismissed of. And then, of course, un- unfortunately, we had Delta and now Omicron. And it seems like we are once more in a moment where there are lots of people, unfortunately, including uh, many in the government who are so eager to declare it over at a moment where, you know, you look at the world situation, look at what's happening in China right now. You look at the case numbers going up in Europe right now. And you also can start seeing some of the early signs of case numbers rising in the U.S., And it seems like there is so much cultural pressure right now to look away. And one of the things that the plague poems have forced me to do is to keep looking and to keep paying attention and to not allow myself to look away. Mm. But in terms, just to go back a moment to kind of your yardstick comment, um, when when I was preparing to come on, I went back and I read through some of the early weeks. And one of the things that I found kind of striking in looking back at this is in some of those early weeks where I'm where I was writing about certain milestones being passed and just remembering that there really was a day, there really was a point where the idea that a hundred people had died was scandalous. And then the idea that a thousand people had died was like terrible. I think that many people probably remember that New York Times cover from when it, when we were nearing a hundred thousand deaths and it was called, you know, an incalculable loss And then after that, when we hit 200,000 deaths, 500,000 deaths, when we recently hit 900,000 deaths, you know, I don't even think that 900,000 deaths was above the fold on the front page. Um, and, And goodness only knows what they're going to do once a million deaths is reached. Oh, thank you for that. And I want to just observe a couple of things that this is a, a project and people can find the, the plague poems by going to librarianshipwreck.wordpress.com. And I've got, I'll, I just tweeted out the link as well. So I just want to, um, I'm going to read another one here in just a minute, if it's okay with you. And uh, I just want to observe a couple of things that, um, so they're, they're short and, I wanted to ask you, is that the convention because you, you, and this is meant to be a social media project. And so it needed to fit within the, uh, in other words, is the form dominated by the Twitter character limit, or was that just a happenstance? That's sort of one question I have in terms of how you evolved it. Um, And then the other question I had related to, to it was who is the narrator? Is it you, Zachary, or is it some 
other person who's out there who's a sort of Zachary-like or a, a, what you said, a sort of disaster researcher type who's observing what's going on, but it's sort of not you. So I, I feel like uh, part of the reason I had been hesitant to come on and discuss these things is some of these questions are things that uh, I guess I haven't fully thought through, like some of kind of like the more uh, nuanced artistic side of this. I wish I had better answers. The, uh, the shortness of them was partly informed by the fact, as I said, you know, um, one of the main influences on this was Brecht's War Primer. Right. And those are, tend to be short poems. I have written a fair number of longer ones that are related to this that I haven't really done much with or posted anywhere. And I'm kind of thinking of, you know, where or what I will do with them. But I kind of liked the idea of getting these out there in a way that people could easily encounter them, that it would get in front of people. Um, you know, on the one hand, I certainly think that I'm probably contributing to doom scrolling instead of um, fighting against the forces of doom scrolling. But I wanted to try and inject a different perspective on living through the pandemic into kind of the the main scroll that people were going through. Um, you know, I think that there is such a sea of bleak headlines and people sharing their own situations. And I think that all of that is very valuable and important, but I think that different ways to be talking about, different ways to be reflecting on, um, different ways to be thinking about this um, are also useful. Um, in terms of the narrator of these, if if I'm being honest, it's 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 me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like to say that, uh, I, I wish that I could say that like, oh, oh no, I have all of this artistic distance and and the person who is supposedly writing these is is somebody wiser and more removed. But um, now I, I think that most of these are probably uh, highly reflective of a neurotic Jewish grad student who spends far too much time thinking about disasters and the end of the world. Let me read one from one of the plague poems from week 20. And this is another way that I think people should use these as they try to reconstruct, as I've been doing the pandemic, so that we don't lose the memory of it. I think it's really crucial that we don't, particularly at this moment when people are trying to rewrite the history that was only two years ago. Um, but one way to do this is not using headlines, but using plague poems to actually try to figure out where we were in time and this is from week 20, and I think this will resonate with people. A considerate teacher, the plague, has provided our leaders an opportunity to demonstrate what they have learned. Alas, it appears the lesson our leaders have internalized is that they should be crueler. That's an early summer 2020 feeling. Yeah. When we, I mean, that's the governor of Florida saying we're open again. 
that to me, I mean, that's just my, my feel of it. And it, and it delivers that in such a way that, you know, as you said, a sea of headlines, we can read through them and move through them, but in just a few words that, as you said, get out on the internet and circulate quickly and widely to me better than those, than those headlines. I, I don't know if you wanted to, that one is amazing. I know so many of these are amazing. That one's really amazing. Do you, um, do. I keep them littered around. <laughs> um, do you, do you want to read another couple of them? We have a few minutes left. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll read a couple more and then uh, close it up. These are also from early on, um, first few weeks. I, I think that all of these are from within the first six. In a room down the hall from my apartment lives an elderly man. White beard, stooped shoulders, a yarmulke on Saturdays. When we pass by the mailboxes or in the hall, we exchange pleasantries. Our shared hallway now echoes with his dry cough. I do not know his name. Let me find another. The hands can be washed. The mask can be fashionable. The lost job can be overcome. The loneliness can be ignored. The death count can be stomached. What will shatter you is the broken plate. And here, I think that this is a, uh, unfortunately, maybe a, a fitting one to end on. Before a thousand had died, that number was unthinkable. Before 10,000 had died, that number was unthinkable. Before 50,000 had died, that number was unthinkable. At the moment, 100,000 deaths is still unthinkable, but it will not be for much longer. Zachary Loeb reading plague poems as part of the restoring memory collection of COVID calls episodes. I really appreciate you taking this time and uh, you're right. I had to ask you a couple times to read these um, and I'm glad you finally accepted the invitation because uh, somehow in addition to the other work you've been doing, which is great. And we've talked about on COVID calls a couple times, you were doing this too. And uh, a lot of the people who listen to COVID calls listen for the poets and I've had lots of great poets on and I'm glad to include you in that group. Zachary, um, Thanks for the work. Thank you, Scott. And thank you for COVID calls. Stay healthy, everybody, and stay tuned because in just a few minutes, we have our next episode from this Restoring Memory special grouping of COVID calls. It'll be a pandemic of racism with Mon Monica Sanders, Joy Banner, and Felicia Henry. So please do join me in just a few minutes for that. Stay healthy, and thanks again, Zach.